Hey everyone, welcome to the Breakthrough Breakdown. In this podcast, we'll be breaking down the sermon from the previous week, diving into theological discussions, and even having some fun. Make sure to join us every Wednesday on Spotify, Apple Music, and download our Zion Lutheran Church app for more updates. And with that, we hope you enjoy the Breakthrough Breakdown. Not now. I mean, well, now it's fine. <laughs> now it's uncomfortable. And now for a bonus call. And now for a bonus <laughs> All right, and this is actually okay. So, hey, everybody, uh, welcome to the Breakthrough Breakdown from Zion's Podcast. No, this is Zion's Podcast, not from Zion's Podcast. <laughs> this is Pastor Jason. I'm Hope Olmstead. I'm Casey Schlichty. I'm Derek Crawford. That's awesome. So, hey, we're continuing in our series, God Is. And, Derek, you preached on Sunday. Woo! Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Is that enough enthusiasm? That was so much enthusiasm. Okay. That was, that was uh, very enthusiastic. You're welcome. Uh, so uh, two weeks ago, uh, the previous Sunday, we actually moved into kind of the foundation laying of everything, talked about God's kingdom. And we had those kind of four corners, right? So you have community, family, God's character, God's fame. And then last week, we talked about God's kingdom. And that's really the foundation for everything. And this week, Derek, you preached on... Provision. <laughs> that, that, that's yes, that's what we preached on. Um, Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. And it's this idea of God's provision and who we are. Uh, you, you and I, we're, we're all designed for dependence on God. When we think about the American world, and especially, I mean, let's just be honest, clear, like we're a pretty affluent area. Um, what do you think is the struggle or the challenge with the idea of dependence on God? For me, it's 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 going to be very hard for people in this area to truly understand what hunger is, to truly understand what it means to go several days without food. To us, hunger is, wow, I need a snack before meal. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I think that's what you think of as like, oh, I'm hangry. I haven't eaten yet. But it's way different. Uh, so like when I, I've traveled to Haiti and Peru, it's much different when you see people that don't have that same luxury where their meal isn't guaranteed the next yeah. day. They don't know what's what what they're going to eat. They don't know if this will be their last meal. And so it's it changes your perspective a lot. And I think it's very easy, including me, to forget that here in yeah. America because we are so blessed. And we may not realize it because it's, sometimes it's it might be the little things, but uh, I truly believe it is a blessing because if we don't have it, if your needs aren't met, it's, it could becomes very it could become very deadly it could become yeah. bad and so I think we forget that sometimes well and I, like I think about when I was uh, first a bachelor when I was living by myself and my refrigerator barely had anything in it like I had top ramen <laughs> and some of that was because I wasn't making money I mean I was I was the typical 20 something didn't have a career yet was figuring things out and I also just didn't think about it like it didn't it didn't cross my mind hey having a full fridge is a healthy thing I had like ketchup. <laughs> I lived off of frozen chicken patties. Frozen. Like. Fro <laughs> Do you remember uh, the snack burritos? Like I had snack burritos, but I would also go out to eat whenever I felt like it. Even though I was not a rich person, I could go get a 99 cent cheeseburger. And and I think living in Clear Lake sometimes, especially where we are, we actually do have quite a bit of affluence, even though we're technically a rural town. Um, one of the dangers that comes in, and, and Casey, I'd particularly love to hear from you. I mean, you're going to be 21 here soon, right? Yeah, in a month. In a month, you're going to be 21, the big two ones. So you're coming right out of high school just a few years ago, mm -hmm. out of college. Uh, 
That's a little bit further back for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What's it like for you now entering into adulthood, Mm -hmm. having to manage, living by yourself, managing those things? What does dependence look like for a 20-year-old or a 21-year-old? Like, I, I haven't thought about it for so long. Yeah. I, I'm curious. What's it like for you? Um, I think for me, I don't like asking for help. I, I like to think of myself as a very, like, independent person. Um, and there is kind of this, I know for me and, like, a lot of my friends, there is kind of this attitude of, like, I can do it by myself. I can do it by myself um, up until you can't. So, like, I mean, even, like, the – basic things of I got home from a Sunday and I was going I got to church at 6 30 and I got back at about 1 30 and my mom was up for the weekend and she was like you need to clean your apartment it is summer and you are going to get bugs and I was like no mom what I need to do is go take a nap (laughs) (laughs) and I mean I think that there's there is kind of this attitude of like I can do it by myself I don't need any help I can 100% do this by myself um and not really wanting to accept help from other people because I mean even I think 20, being 20 is a very weird age because I'm not a teenager, but I'm not old enough to drink yet. I'm not old enough to really. You can't even rent a car. I can't even rent a car. In some states, I can't. So you actually do need help. If you wanted to get a rental, you would need an adult's help. I would need an adult. I would need an adult. (laughs) You need an adult. I know. Adulting is hard. It is. There are are some states where I can't like go to, I can't do a hotel by myself. I have to have somebody there with me. Um, And it's this like weird age where, especially for me, I've been living by myself since I was 18. Um, two years, two years. Yeah. yeah <laughs> two, two years. years yeah. Almost um, three. Don't discount. Almost three. I, I don't want to discount. <laughs> Almost no, three. No. Um, but I've been living by myself since I was 18 and we're, I mean, we're coming up on like three years of that. And I think, um, it's interesting because I have my older sister is two and a half years older than me. And in some ways, um, she'll make the joke of like, oh, you're more mature than I am because she's never lived by herself. She's always had a roommate who was older than her. So she's always had. So there's that tendency to feel like independence. I'm independent. Exactly. And I, I'm a very competitive person. So there's that yeah. tendency to be like, look at how much I don't need help right now. Yeah. Well, and I remember we were talking about this a couple of days ago because you were like, I remember all the way back in high school and I'm like three years ago. Three years ago. And especially, <laughs> and especially me, when you get to that high age. school was 20 some odd years ago, which you still gone through all of school. Again. I could have gone through school twice. You can put, like, you can put your calculator away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I had to get calculus involved. Yeah. Now hope on the flip side, you just had a baby. Yeah, I did. And being a mom and having someone dependent on me is very interesting. Yeah. Well, and even for you, so you moved to Clear Lake, yep. don't have family in town. Nope. It's just you, your husband and, and your little baby boy who's adorable. Thank the you. cutest baby he in is, the world. He is very adorable. Um, what is dependence? I mean, that, that's a shift as well. You had to learn a different dependence. One, somebody's now dependent upon you. Yeah. But also, what does that look like for you? When you think about dependence, what does that look like for you now? Well, I think just having the um, the idea of, well, ha- having him be dependent on me of I have to be available all the time yeah. for him. And um, I have to be dependent on you know, I have to be dependent on God all the time to be able to have the strength to even do day-to-day stuff, you know. Um, so Anybody who's had kids can attest to that. Yeah. That, those first, that first year is really tough because it's a shift. It's a mental shift. Yeah. And I think just being dependent, you know, um, making sure that, you know, my finances are reflective to being, um, being a mom and, you know, hey, I need to provide this for my child yeah. and, Hey, but I also need to, I need to eat so my son can eat, you know, like having this idea of, um, that it's not just 
me that is affected anymore. That's That's been a huge part for me of realizing that. Well, and we come to this and part of this, and Derek, you brought in this Greek word epiousios, um, which is, there's not a real literal translation. And, and, the, and anybody who's, if you're listening to this, sometimes we don't understand that in, in different languages, there's not a direct correlation, usually. Sometimes there is. Um, but a lot of times a word can have multiple meanings or a word is a reflection of a phrase. And this word doesn't actually mean daily bread. Derek, say a little bit more about what what does this word mean and kind of the Greek and the idea behind that. And we talked about this on Sunday, but or you talked about it on Sunday. Yeah. And so, yeah, they choose daily bread. But like you said, that that isn't necessarily a direct translation. And so some of, some of the other ways you could look at it is like, a future bread or a tomorrow bread or a sustenance that you'll you'll receive in the future and it kind of points points you towards this idea of uh not worrying about tomorrow and so when they when it's used like this it's it's basically talking about your your ability to for me i view it as like your ability to go to bed at night and not worry about where your meal is coming from the next day because you are so dependent on god that that worry leaves you, that it's not something that you concern about. And I know in America that can be hard to realize, but in this culture, uh, and I know Jason's talked about it a lot before with us, is that like in this culture, it would have been very, uh, hunger would have been a real thing. Like worrying about where your food was coming from would have been a real concern. And so when God's addressing this in this uh, in this prayer, or when Jesus is saying this in this prayer, he's meeting a very real need for them, a need that is extremely important for them. And so when they pray that when we're praying this prayer, it's pointing us to this idea of you should be dependent on God because he's going to provide for tomorrow. I can't fathom. I mean, really, my brain doesn't fathom the idea that I may not have food tomorrow. But for an ancient Israelite or an ancient Christian, which they are, that's 2000 years ago. That's ancient. Even 100 years ago, 150 years ago, uh, the Great Depression. I mean, I think they have a greater realization than even we do. For them, this idea that a future food, that's a real need. That's a real thing. So I have an interesting story on this. Uh, and it is and it is a joke. It was not said. I don't believe it was said in, in, in being, for being real. But uh, at one point, uh, a group of uh, like moms in, the, in our church made a joke that they should start a meal train for me because I'm in <laughs> seminary and, uh, you know, I'm up late every single night. I was, uh, I was working late and they're like, oh, somebody just needs to take care of him. Somebody needs to provide him food. And Amanda was in the room and she's like, no, you don't. Like, he, is a grown, he is a grown adult man who could take care of himself. But it's funny because uh, it shows how, even though it was joking, but it shows how, how misconstrued we can be on uh, what is a need and what is what how how can we help people and that type of thing and so I think that's an interesting story because it, I think it points to how some people actually do see things in America I don't think like you're right it's hard to know truly what hunger is yeah so but there is that care and, and the two weeks ago we talked about the God's kingdom versus the world's kingdom right and there is that part where I know when when Lisa and I had Indy and when we had Eli. Okay, so Indy's my oldest, for those of you who are listening, uh, turning 14 in August. No. I, I know. That blows my mind away. I'm out of a 14-year-old. Old um, man. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, and this was, and it was such a, we had just started working at this church called Community of Hope in Rosemount. And Eli was about ready to be born. In fact, I still remember I I had my pager or my, my, my pager. That's my a pager. different age. I had my phone 
and I was getting ready to teach for a Wednesday night Bible study or a Wednesday night. It was a, uh, they did service, but it was more deeper in scripture. And we were waiting to hear Lisa was due any day now. And I remember telling them, listen, if my phone, if I get a text saying Lisa's in labor, I don't care if I'm mid-sentence, I'm bailing. And everybody kind of laughed and chuckled. And here I'm about halfway through the message, and all of a sudden my phone's buzzing. And you hear everybody go, <gasps> and it was nothing. <laughs> it was absolutely nothing. But I, I, we, uh, we went out and we did something as a, a few staff members. And I remember coming back to the house. And I don't even know how Pear got the keys to our house. Pear was the lead pastor there. And they'd made a diaper castle. So we come home and there's literally, it's like 50, 60 packs of diapers for a newborn, which Hope as a mom is like, that would be amazing, right? <laughs> and I, I started to cry. Like I genuinely, I was so overwhelmed by it. And just the note said, hey, a family in here really believes in providing and they, you were laid on their heart. And this is a simple need, right? And when you have a newborn, diapers are a real thing. Like oh. <laughs> until you have kids, you don't realize how expensive diapers are, but how many you go through. I think all of those things do is poop. That's all they mm. they poop and eat, <laughs> poop and eat and sleep. That's it. Sometimes um, sleep. Sometimes <laughs> sleep. Sometimes, yeah, spoken like a new mom. Right. Yeah. Um, but sometimes that's what the kingdom is supposed to look like. We actually meet needs, even when somebody doesn't have a need that they may not realize, that's what the kingdom is supposed to look like. We take care of each other. Uh, Galatians chapter 6.10, Paul encourages us to do good to the world. But then he says, especially for those within the church. And we've talked about this on other Sundays, but the idea is, is that we should be looking for opportunities to bless people in their needs, even when they don't realize it's a need. It's, those, it's being prayerful and mindful of what God is doing. And so in those moments, God might lay on your heart and it may have been, actually, it could have been the Lord who was laying on a, a mom's heart to say, hey, Derek's studying a lot. This is a way we can bless him. But what if that's the way that God actually meets our needs? I thought it was a good idea. I think it's, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, Shane, Shane Claiborne, if you're not familiar with him, he uh, he's a pastor in New York. And he basically, he lives in a very poor community. And one of the statements he makes, and I think it's great, is, what if we're called to be the answer to our own prayers? Like if I find out my neighbor is in, is in need and I can pray, oh, Lord, I just pray that you would fill their fridge. Now, could God miraculously fill their fridge with food? Yes. But how is he normally going to do it? Through somebody else. So instead of praying, God, I pray that you do it. What if God has laid it on your heart? The reason why you're praying for it is God saying, no, you be the answer. That's kingdom. Like this idea is that we're, so, we're supposed to be the ones who are looking. Um, that word... That word tomorrow's bread, uh, bread in the few in the future, but it's also pointing to hope because food is one of the first. It's the first need that we all have. It's a need that every human being, food and water and oxygen, you cannot survive with those without those three things, right? When you think about physical needs, um, what are some physical needs for us today? And they're very different than in the ancient world. But what are other physical needs? We obviously have food. What are some other physical needs that you guys can think of? And how do we see God providing those in our lives? Or what does that look like? I think I mentioned it in, in my sermon as well. But uh, one of the very, very first needs, it seems like, is met is relationship. Yeah. With uh, Adam and Eve, you know, uh, they didn't want Adam to be alone. So God created Eve. I think relationship is one of those as well, where I think that is I don't know. I don't know if it, it. I don't think I'd put it with food, water, and shelter, maybe. But I do think it's one of those that if you don't have it, it's it's very easy to not be able to see anything else. 
Have you never watched Castaway with Tom Hanks? I mean, he goes crazy. We ha- we need relationships. <laughs> yes. And so you do. You need you need someone. And I'm not just talking about romantic relationship. I'm talking about it could be friendship. It could be family. It could be your church family. It could be whatever it is. But I, I do. I think relationship plays a huge role in in our needs. And I think it's one that we can we can easily uh, forget or we could easily neglect. So that would be one that I think of. Yeah. Well, and I think the Bible is very clear that it's more than that. Um, Adam was in perfect relationship with God before Eve was around, and yet it's not good that man be alone. Adam wasn't alone in the garden. He was with God. And I think the intention is that we're not just created with God-shaped holes. We're created with man-shaped holes. We're created with human, that need for relationship, connection. Um, I think love is a good expression of that, is that you can't love somebody without somebody to be there to love. Yeah, Love is an expression that happens towards someone else. And so I think that's also another another example of that. That's another that you, need, the need yeah. to be loved, to want, be wanted. Yep. Yeah. But you need relationship in order to be able to do that, because otherwise you're just loving yourself and that doesn't work. That's not a, that's not a real type it, of It only love. takes you so far, yeah. loving yourself. I mean, we do need to love ourselves. That's love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's part of the command. But you're right. I can't fill that need within myself. No matter how introverted I might be, I still need people. Like I think I'm pretty awesome, but I can't just do <laughs> I can't just do that. Like that's that that won't like you said, that won't get you very far. That'll be very a very shallow uh, relationship if that's all. Yeah. One it's and self-love. I mean, narcissist, the story of narcissist in Greco-Roman mm-hmm. fell in love with his own reflection. We are created for more. What other needs? I mean, we think about food. We've got relationship. We've even got that that need to be wanted, to be loved. What other needs can you think of that maybe are less obvious, like not necessarily physical need? Maybe there's something else. The first thing that came to my mind was knowledge or like okay. education. Um, I definitely, I mean, I worked, with, I worked with kids for most of my life and either coaching or teaching or volunteering or doing anything. Um And it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of been placed on my heart in a sense that you have a huge difference, especially like I, I interned in kindergarten classroom when I was in high school. Um, And even just the huge difference between those first five years of life on how, not necessarily how important it was to the parents, but how forward it was in their mind, their child's education before they actually went to school. Because you had some kids who would come into kindergarten who had older siblings who were teaching them from the time that they were born up until they went to kindergarten and they just knew everything before they got there. They knew their hundred numbers. They knew their alphabet. They knew all that stuff. And then you had these other kids who didn't have that growing up. And what was interesting was they would come in and those kids were so hungry for it. And they took every opportunity that they could to learn something. So it's that, it's that knowledge to explore. Yeah, I mean, and, adventurous, and, almost in a sense. Yeah, so I was I was at a, a McDonald's with a friend of mine back in the day, and his baby, his his daughter was maybe a year, and we're sitting there, and this is before I had kids, and she starts chewing on the table, and exploring. But how do babies learn to first explore? They learn through taste, through senses, and I'm sitting there like I'm like. Uh, you're going to stop that? It's like, no, no, it's just building immunity. <laughs> but there is, I think I agree with you. We're, mm-hmm. we're created. I mean, we have a God, a God who's infinite in knowledge. And that is, he is infinite. He knows and sees everything. He doesn't need to learn everything. But as image bearers, as those who are created to reflect him, that thirst, that desire, that need to learn, to explore is part of our image bearing. Yeah. And I always thought, I always thought it was really interesting with kids that you had 
it kind of what we were talking about with the hunger where if it's just if it's just something that's always been given to you, you don't realize how important it is, yeah. even at such a young age. Or like if it's just something that like your parents read you books every time before you went to bed and your siblings were showing you alphabets and how to write your name before you ever went to school, it's just something that happens to yeah. you and you just even at that young, it's just what you're used to. Well, and you just talked about that, that taking it for granted. Like you've yeah. already had it. You don't think about it. When we were doing read through, I actually got convicted. <laughs> I'll just, I'll be honest. I, I've, I've never regularly prayed before meals. And part of it is I just don't like the religiousness of it. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of my go-to. Anything that feels religious, I kind of have an allergic reaction to. <laughs> like, I just like, I'm not, I'm not doing that just to do it because that's what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And I realized that for me, I, when I, I don't know what it's like to go hungry and I mean, usually we pray over our meal and we thank God for our meal, but are we really thanking God or are we, you know, we pray it, what is it, uh, that it nutrients our bodies or whatever it is that feeds our bodies. And I got convicted. I'm like, wait, it's a reality that I don't realize how blessed I am because I could have been born anywhere else in the world. I could have been born in North Korea. I could have been born in parts of Africa or in Haiti where I don't have those things. And I had no choice of where I was born. <laughs> but I got kind of convicted on it because I take yeah. it for granted. And it's so easy to do that. Um, are you guys, I mean, I think we're all familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Uh, Maslow's was a psychologist who basically broke down the base needs. And the, the first need, apart from oxygen, because if you don't have oxygen, you die, <laughs> is food and water. And there's an old quote, and I wish I could remember who it is, but it's talking about uh, when you go to share the gospel with people. It's impossible to hear the gospel over a rumbling stomach. Mm-hmm. And Maslow goes through and he breaks down like your base needs, your first needs, and then it goes up and up and down and down until you have the widest and sex and all that. Like you can go the, your entire life without sex, but you can only go a few minutes without oxygen. You can only go a few days without, without water. You can go a few weeks without food. Uh, I think one of the problems that we have, and you touched on this, Derek, on Sunday, I think it's easy to forget that we don't, we actually need God. We need God like we need oxygen. Uh, Colossians gives us that it says literally Jesus holds everything together. Every atom in the universe is held together by, by Jesus's will. So that means if Jesus wanted to, he could just say, nope, I'm done. And everything would cease to exist. Now that's, he doesn't do that because he's a loving God. But everything is held together from him. When we think about that, how how hard is it? Do you, why do you think it's so difficult for us, even as in the church, to fathom that we need God on a daily basis to truly survive? Not even just talking about our, our physical need for bread or food or whatever, but that is our, he's our first and foremost, even before water and before oxygen, I actually need God. And, and that's that's the lie in it because I can exist without God my entire life. That's called atheism, and they seem to live. But what does that mean? What does it mean to actually need God first? Well, I think we, um, like you said, everything is dependent on God. You know, we we could cease to exist if God so desired. But I think realizing, like, we do have that God-sized shape hole, like, in our hearts. And everybody's searching for spirituality or some answers somewhere, you know, whether they— you know, think that it's, you know, in, in some other thing other than God, you know, it, we know that we need him. So we know that that is a basic necessity. We need something to, to fill that void. Yeah. I think, uh, for me being in, in 
today's culture, in American culture, being dependent on someone is generally viewed as a negative. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone wants to be dependent on someone else. I don't want to have to live in my parents' basement. I don't want to be dependent on the government. Like, there's so many different phrases that we use in America about dependence, and I think it's it, it teaches an aversion to it, or it teaches us not to want to do it. But, uh, and I mentioned it in, 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 the, in the sermon this weekend, but one of the things that I learned from it is that dependency, it came all the way back to, to the garden. Like it, we were dependent on God even before sin. Like, so dependency isn't a negative thing. Yeah. Dependency is actually a good thing. Like it is something that, that Adam and Eve did in the garden. Uh, Adam and Eve had to be dependent. Like, the, yes, they had to plant the garden, but they needed God to make it grow. Yeah. Like there were so many things that even before sin, even before the fall, uh, all that did is before they were living in abundance in the garden, they had abundance, they had everything they needed after, after the sin, after the fall, that's when it became scarcity. That's when you had to, to work hard for your food Toil. and yeah. that we had to almost, uh, our dependency on God went up, but that dependency was still there the whole time. And so when I, when I fast forward back to today, I don't know, it's, it's hard for us because so it's so easy to go to my cupboard, to go to my grocery store, to go to wherever it is, and I'm going to have food. And so it's very easy in my head to say, well, I'm not dependent on, I don't need God. Yeah. I don't need, I don't need other people. Now I know that sounds weird in a, for a pastor to be saying that, but it is very easy to have that mindset. And a lot of times you don't even know you're doing it. Like, oh yeah. It's almost just like, well, I don't, I don't need, I don't need God to provide my food. Like I already have food. It's it's a much different if you if you go at it from the perspective of like, you know, you have that food because God gave it to you. It's your gifts are something God gave you. Your intellect is a gift from God. <laughs> so I remember uh, this was years ago. I was I was every once in a while I feel like the Lord lays somebody on my heart to pray for. Him. So I go to this brother and he's a Christian, brother in Christ, good family, good marriage, good job, good home. I mean everything's going well. And I said, hey, I feel like the Lord just is there anything I'd be praying for you on. And his exact words to me were, no, no, I'm good. I mean, I've got food. I've got a great marriage. I don't really need anything. And it struck me because here I, I really laid on my heart that there was something going on. And no, no, I'm good. Like my marriage is good. Everything's great. I don't need anything from God. And then he, this was the comment he made. I almost feel selfish asking God or bringing, bringing any needs because I already have all I need. And I was like, wow, you're missing it. Like you're totally missing the point. But how often do I miss the point? Like before I point a finger at him, I'm realizing I have the same mentality. There are times that I have something I'm like, no, I don't need God. I don't need to go to God with that. I'll just go to the cupboard or I'll just do something else. It's it's really easy to fall into that trap. And uh, I think the I think the worry on on that story you just said is that, you know, yeah, things might feel like they're going good now, but like marriages fail. Yeah. Uh, you know, your financial situation can turn in a hurry. Like a pandemic could happen. Like there's so many things that could hit right away that uh, can change that. And that's why I think a, a daily dependence on God is so necessary. And to realize that he does, he is the one that supplies those needs. And he's the ones that you should be turning towards. And I don't think it, to me, it's not selfish to ask God for the, the things in your life. I think as long as it's done through a humility and it's done through, through the foundation a, of those first yep. things, it's all glory for God. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then I don't think it's a problem. And I don't think it's it's wrong, or I think it's encouraged <clears throat> to still ask God to keep fulfilling those needs. Yeah. You know, because God, He's already providing your food, water, shelter. But God, 
I want to stay in your favor. I want to make sure that my needs are still met. I want to have that, you know, constant reminder of, no, God, you're the reason why I have all these. Yeah. I don't think I don't think that's bad at all. I think that should be encouraged that, you know, when we are praying for a meal, really take that time to, God, thank you so much for for providing this meal and realizing, hey, I could not have a meal in front of me. Yeah. God definitely provided this. And I think just having that renewed spirit in that, I think that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. When you were talking about the Genesis uh, part of it, you know, and for for years, I thought the goal of Genesis chapters one through three, or one and two specifically, was like a science textbook. And it was to show like, you know, God created, and don't get me wrong, I believe God created 100%. And then when you get to Noah and the story of Noah, it says that the rain had never fell before. And we talked about this in Sermon Read-Through. The idea was the reason why it didn't rain and those who are trying to make the the Bible a science book will say it was because there were, well, there was water underneath the ground that filled it up and that's how it provided for the soil. That's not the point. The point of the story is it didn't need to rain because God provided what the, what they needed. That's the whole point of it. It is, it's not about whether or not there was water underneath the ground that somehow miraculously fed the plants is we didn't need rain because in the garden there was perfect fellowship and God was the one who made the plants grow. God was the one. Adam's job was to till it. Adam's job was to do it. It's God who made it grow. And the apostle Paul says the same thing about faith. Like I can't provide the rain from the sky. Now we now have irrigation systems and aqueducts and I can bring the water, but my job is I can't make faith happen in somebody. My job is to plant. I can water to a degree, but it's ultimately God who makes it grow. And and that's 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 where our dependence is. If you want more faith in your life, you can't conjure up more faith. You pray for the Holy Spirit to give you more, more faith. Let the Holy Spirit build that faith in you. Um, Jesus is called the bread of life. And, and the reason for that is, is bread was the easiest form of food to make. High nutrient value, a lot of carbs. God knew that. But when it says that Jesus is bread, it implies that we need Jesus more than we actually need physical food. When Jesus is tempted out in the desert, remember Satan says, hey, turn all these rocks to bread. And Jesus' response is, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of, the, of God. I'll be honest, I struggle with that. Like, I don't, I don't think I need... God's word alone. I, you know, I, first of all, I, I don't just need that because last time I checked, I can eat the pages of scripture, not going to be very nutrient rich. Like I do <laughs> need food, but Jesus is our bread. Jesus is our ultimate spiritual need. He meets the most important need of all. You can survive your entire life without God, but you, you can't spend eternity without him. And there's that, there's that element of that. Yeah. What were you going to say, Derek? Oh, I was just, uh, yeah, and I think when you when you asked us what are some of the some of the needs, I think uh, spiritual need is a, is a big one. And I think if you were to only look at this prayer and you were only to see the physical nature of it, if you were only to see that, uh, oh yes, we should pray for our for uh, Maslow's needs, you know, you know, food, water, shelter, air. I think you're missing a another level or another layer that this part of the prayer offers. It's pushing us towards this need for the spiritual that, you know, that only only Jesus can be the ultimate bread that satisfies our spiritual hunger. Like it's the only he's the only way that we can actually do that. And I think if we don't see that and we don't pray with that in mind, I think we're missing a layer that is there. Yeah. And how we should pray and how we should 
be dependent not only on our physical needs, but we should be dependent on the idea that he'll deliver in our spiritual needs as well. Yeah, well, and that goes back to when we did the Beatitudes, uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst, it's not those who have a slight craving and are just a little parched. <laughs> There's a desperation. Okay, now no one can see this, but it's really funny. Every time Casey has an idea, she puts her finger on her nose and she just holds it there. So I've been looking over at Casey and she's just got her finger on her nose and it's really fun. All right. I don't forget. No, I you don't. don't. And you make sure nobody else does too. Otherwise, actually, what happened if we did the entire time just to see how long Casey will keep her finger on her nose? I will never take it off because if I do, I'll forget. Um no, one of the best illustrations that I can remember of this, my my grandfather used to say, um, he would every every morning he would wake up at like five a.m. and every like uh, all of the like older grandparents in the neighborhood would go to their porch and they were called porch pigeons and they would just like have coffee and read their Bible and my my grandpa described it one time because as a kid as a kid still to this day um, pretty independent pretty stubborn pretty competitive kid. My grandfather described it like this, where he was like, sometimes you do this to people, but you also do it in prayer where you like, you get down on your knees and you're crying and you're, you're just like, please, I need this. I need this so bad, God. And then he gives it to you and you go, thanks. And then you run away. Yeah. Just as fast as you can. Um, and that image has never left my brain of like, just the idea of somebody like so desperately hungry and needing for something. And then God gives it to them and they just go, thanks. And then run away. It was like what Hope was talking about, where it's like a constant reminder of the things that you need. It's not just like a, thanks, man. I'm going to jet out until I need you again, yeah. you know? Well, and, then, and I think that is, that's the, that's a common problem. I think it's a human problem. Uh, God is spirit. We don't always see God. We don't see God most of the time. I mean, it says he comes in, in angelic forms every once in a while. That uh, Hebrews even tells us that many, we may have entertained angels unaware who represent the presence of God, which means we may have actually had somebody who come who was God coming to bless us literally through an angelic host. We just didn't have eyes to see or ears to hear. They're still there, right? Um, our tendency is to be self-reliant. And that's really what this whole message was about, is that the Lord's Prayer brings us back to is self-reliance is not God's kingdom. That's man's kingdom. God's kingdom is, no, we, we go to the Father for his glory. When God provides, it actually makes God look good. It, it glorifies his name. Uh, in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, when the first church is being birthed, one of the descriptions it gives in Acts chapter 2 is that everybody comes together and they're learning from the apostles. They're worshiping. They're breaking bread. They're doing communion, the Eucharist. Um, but on top of that, then it says, and everybody had their needs met. Now we can look through that and go, oh, that's cute. But in an ancient world where sometimes people went days without food, the community became the hands and feet of God. They became the hand and feet of God. They became the answer to the prayer, give us this day our daily bread, because they provided for each other. And I think it's I think it's in God's spell. And there's sometimes what people want to do is they want to uh they want to get away from the miracles of Jesus and they try and make it natural. Mm -hmm. And I think it's in God's spell when Jesus feeds the five thousand the five thousand. He actually doesn't feed the five thousand, he inspires everybody to give a little extra because they can't deal with the miraculous. Mm -hmm. And that's actually not true. When Jesus, it says he miraculously, it wasn't that he miraculously inspired people to give. No, he turned a few loaves and fishes to feed the multitudes yeah. way more than 5,000 because they just counted men. You also had women and children. But in the New Testament, you see the opposite. And in, in, uh, sorry, in Acts, you see the opposite. The inspiration becomes that when we actually start doing God's kingdom, 
we become the hands and feet because that's the real miracle for us. Sometimes the greatest miracle is when somebody finally opens up their, their own pocketbook to be generous because they think everything is theirs. And that's the first miracle is God changes their heart to where they realize, oh, no, wait, this is a gift. I'm called the steward. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And then in Acts chapter 4, you have the opposite where before it starts off with the apostles modeling it. And now in Acts chapter 4, you have the believers who are just doing it because that's what believers do. That's the kingdom. And to me, that actually is what stood out the most in this uh, the, the, about this topic is I, I talked about it a little bit when I talked about how, to me, this prayer sometimes does feel like it should be prayed in a, in a group or in a community because I do, when I hear that, uh, it sounds like we are asked, like we are called into helping our neighbor. That whenever we, when we, when we say, when we're talking about daily bread, uh, to me, it feels like what that is doing is that we are agreeing to be part of the solution. That we are agreeing to, if there are people in need in our community, if there's people in need in our church, if there's people in need around us, that when we pray that prayer, that we are saying that we want to be a part of the solution, that we want to be a part of making sure people's needs are met. We're, as it's talking about in Acts, where no one goes without because we are willing to step up as the church, as their community, as whatever whatever it is we want to look at it. And I think that's an important part of it. I think yeah. that's an important mindset uh, when you're looking at that is how can we be the hands and feet of Jesus? Yeah. How can we uh, be a part of that solution and not just... And not just take it as a, here, God, do this for me. But it's like, God, I depend on you so much. I want to be a part of it. Yeah. Well, and, and this is uh, part of our our focus this year, which really should be our focus every year, is on community and mission, which goes back to two, two needs, right? <laughs> we have the relational need that all of us have. But also the church is called to be, we're called to be the people who go out and demonstrate God's physical love to the world through meeting needs. By loving our city well. And I think the challenge for us in a city like ours is we don't have a lot of poverty. We do have some. But it's not like downtown Minneapolis or St. Mm-hmm. Paul. We don't have thousands of people who are struggling or with thousands of kids who may not get meals, uh, who the only meal they get maybe is at lunchtime at school. We don't have a lot of that, but we do have it. So how do we meet the needs of our community where we are when it feels like they don't have any needs. I think we, we have to think bigger. We have to think differently. What is the need that they are looking for? It's so funny. Here we are talking about needs and my stomach just growled. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I, I want to end with this and talk about this. Um, God so sees our needs, and, and you alluded to this in your message as well. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus leaves the 99 for the lost one, and that one lost sheep had a need, needed to be rescued. And there's this interesting phrase in there. It says that he left the open, he left the 99 in the open fields. And we read that. And again, don't think much about it. But the open fields mean that he left them in danger. He left them at the the potential of danger to go get the one who was in danger. And how often do we make decisions thinking only about the potential, forgetting that there are those who are actually in danger? Mm. Um. And that's, that's a weird thought. Like Jesus actually left the 99 knowing that a thief could come and steal them, that they may another one may wander off and get in danger because he saw the urgency of the one who was in danger, the one who had walked away. Um, yeah, from like a, I don't know if we should call it like an economic standpoint, like Jesus made the wrong decision in that story. Economically, like, yeah. Like it, 
from a human standpoint, that would not have been the right decision. It would have been to protect your the total assets you have and not worry about that one yeah. little one. Because if you go after that one, you're putting the entire rest of your assets in danger. And I think that's what's so cool about this story is it's like, no, that one matters. Like, and that the, mm-hmm. it almost even gives you this impression that the, the herd can take care of itself. I have to go protect the one in need, the yeah. one that, that, that needs me right now. Yeah. And I think that's, and, but that, that, why that's hard and why that's hard for us today to do that in our, in our daily lives is that means it puts the things we value at risk. Yeah. And I think that's why it's such, that's why that parable is so hard is because that's what it's asking you to do. It's asking to put your, your money, your, maybe your, your family, maybe who knows what your it time. might be, your time. Yeah. You're asked to put that at risk in order to help others. And I know we said that, you know, Clear Lake doesn't have maybe hunger, but you know, there are a lot of people with emotional needs. There's a lot of people with, um, that are going through stuff that, I mean, like I said, we need each other. And so I, I don't know when I'm, when I'm trying to put this all together in my head, I, I think this parable stands out as very, very telling for the world around us today, how hard that is and how difficult it is to put the things you care about at risk in order to help the thing that seems less minor or less important. What came to mind for me on that, and, and it's, um, I grew up in San Diego and uh, specifically, I grew up watching the Chargers when I was in high school and was a huge Chargers fan when they went to the one Super Bowl they went to and lost it horribly to the 49ers. <laughs> but uh, kind of the superstar of the Chargers for a decade was a guy named Junior Seau. And Junior Seau was, I mean, ev- everybody knew the face of Junior Seau. He even had a restaurant. And several years ago, he ended up committing suicide. And, they, you know, there are all kinds of studies around CTE and that kind of stuff. But how often do we hear about sports figures or famous people who, in trying to fill a need, they have all their physical needs met, mm. all their physical needs. They have, you know, they have the money, they have the cars, they have the women or the men, whatever they're looking for. They have all the fame, they have all the popularity. And in this case, I mean, he had some mental health issues that may have been linked to physical issues. But how often do we see them? That's not enough. And I think that's part of the lie is we think that as long as I get those top needs met, I don't need anything else. Everything else is fine. And the newspapers are just littered with famous people who end up ending it, who surrender because they're, they feel hopeless. Food does not make you feel hopeful when you have an abundance of it, but it can make you feel hopeless. Um, because you realize that's not enough. And that's, I can't tell you how many times I thought, oh, if I just ate this, I'd feel better than I eat it. And it didn't really fill any need except for make me feel hungry. I could have eaten something healthier. So I choose a double cheeseburger from, you know, in and out. When we, is any, any last thoughts before we close on today? And, and Derek, you actually have, you have an interview today for the LCMC. That's this afternoon. Tell us a little bit what that's about. So Derek, for those of you who don't know, Derek just finished seminary. Congrats. Uh, yeah, finished seminary about a month ago. So he doesn't have classwork anymore. And so he's going through the final processes. Yeah, so I'm going through, I don't know, I call it like an ordination process, a process to become ordained through the LCMC. Uh, and so what this meeting today is, I have a meeting with three area Lutheran pastors where they will basically do an interview with me uh, I describe it as to 
to determine whether I'm crazy or not. Uh, <laughs> and it could go either way. So we'll see how it goes. For the record, you are. But I mean, <laughs> but uh, that's kind of that's kind of it's the next step uh, where they get to say yes or no to whether or not they think I'm suitable to be a pastor. So you have a need, and you need them to check the boxes so you yes. can move yeah. forward. Yes, I do have a need for that. So. But I can still serve God no matter what. So that's kind of how I look at it. So I'm not too worried. So. Awesome. Well, any any final thoughts before we head out or before we call it a day? Awesome. Well, here's the thing. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you are listening, if you listen to any other ones, if you found this podcast helpful, do us a favor. Share it with somebody else. Give likes, comments. We appreciate all those things. It allows us to kind of know where this is landing and how it's helping. And again, the goal of this podcast is to go deeper from Sunday, but also to share like, we actually have some really good conversations around this stuff when we're, when we're prepping, when we're writing our messages. Uh, and I think it really does, it allows us to see that there's so much more we could preach on. Like, heck, we could, this message probably could have been two hours long if we wanted to, uh, but there are, there's great discussion, great thought, and a lot of conversation around these things. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. Again, this is Jason, one of the pastors here at Zion. I'm Hope Olmstead. I'm Casey Schlichty. Derek. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, John Quigley is the Quigglemeyer, the Quigley Wiggly. Quigglemeyer. The Quigley Wiggly. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and on Never production. Using that. <laughs> no, use it all the time. Thanks for tuning in. Have an amazing day. Until next time, we hear you or you hear us. You hear us. We don't hear you. Have a great day. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Breakthrough Breakdown, a Zion podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, and check out the Zion app. Share this episode with your friends so they can tune in as well. We'll be back next Wednesday with another installment of the Breakthrough Breakdown.